0: slash google teacher pod you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the google teacher podcast thank you for your continued support and may the googles be with you welcome to the google teacher tribe podcast your source for the latest news on Google for education, tips, tricks, and teaching ideas you can use in class tomorrow. And here are your hosts, Matt Miller from DitchThatTextbook.com and Casey Bell from ShakeUpLearning.com.
1: Let's get started. So, you know, I have a funny story to share. People are always interested for some reason to to get a little more insight into our personalities and uh, the things that yeah, we talk about. Reason. So, <laughs> for yeah. whatever reason, I don't know. I'm still yeah, yeah. I'm still amazed. Anybody wants to hear me talk. So, I I have a, a, you know my good friend Matt here and. I exchange text messages quite often. Well, today I have to tell you, I got my first audio message on my phone. And um, if you're, if you use that kudos to you, but I don't know anyone who actually uses the the full audio. Like I know people who translate in the text message, but usually when I see that, I know somebody butt dialed me and my best friend does it all (laughs) the time. And so I get the little, I'm like, what are you doing? You know? So, but Uh, It was Matt. So I was like, I don't know, maybe he's driving and he meant to do this. So I I, I listened to it. Didn't take me long to figure out the phone was kind of muffled and far away that he was not intentionally (laughs) leaving me a message, but... I kept listening. So I, I, you know, fly on the wall, want to know what it's really like to be with Matt. I'm pretty sure you were in the car when this <laughs> yes, happened. I and was. you were having a conversation. It sounded like with your children, the the tone yes. of your voice and the way you were talking. You were talking to a child. I couldn't yes. couldn't hear the kids. But um, <laughs> I think you went on some sort of hiking trip. I'm I you know. But anyway, so just so you know, I was listening to to your, your conversation with your children. And folks, I have proof. He is a nice guy. He wasn't talking bad about me or anything. So, um, oh. you know, the rumors are true. You, you can trust Matt. He's a good guy, um, even if he butt dolls you occasionally. Yeah,
2: yeah <laughs> that is true. And thankfully, I was, yes, talking about hiking and not about not that I talk about like horrible, weird things. I need to just stop talking and just I'm digging yeah. my mm-hmm. own mm-hmm. my own hole here, I think. So <laughs>
1: cut, cut, cut. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yeah, so, that's right.
1: So you ready to get started? or are you ready yes. to change topics now? Yes, <laughs> so let's what are we please talk change
2: about? topics? Yes, let's let's talk about something google-ish. What do you say? Like, you know, yeah. uh, Casey and I have found some examples over the years of ways that Google can be used in a very superficial shallow way, but there are some really, really good ways to use it to do, Good, deep, solid thinking. And that's what we're going to talk about how it's not really about the tools, it's about how you use them. And so we want to talk about some of our favorite examples of ways that you can use Google to do some of that deep, deep thinking. And so we've got some updates to share with you. We've got some feedback from our listeners and a couple of blog posts. And I am ready to stop talking about butt dialing and get into this. What do you say?
1: <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> So let's dive into some Google news and updates. I have a really interesting article from the keyword blog, the Google blog. And this one is titled, A Tech Slam Dunk Helping Students Discover Code with the Hidden Genius Project. And this is a really cool project for students. So uh, it was announced on October 27th that um, Google.org, was announcing a $1 million grant to the Hidden Genius Project, which is an Oakland, California-based organization that is working to increase the representation of black male youth in tech. By mentoring black male youth in technology creation, entrepreneurship, and leadership skills, the Hidden Genius Project aims to shift perceptions of computer scientists and inspire the next generation of technologists. And so the funding here is obviously um, to help grow this organization. So it's it's sort of a, a partnership here. that Of course, I love the fact that Google – is constantly working to help improve the quality of education out there and bring more students into the computer science world. You know, I, I'm a big fan of the Made with Code project that is to close the gender gap in the programming industry. And so I love here that they are bringing this in here to to get some black male youth interested in, in computer science as well. And it looks like they're, they're really putting a lot of money into this. So um, Google.org, is, is like a separate piece of Google, obviously, and, and where they sort of work on their, their nonprofit type of, of projects and organizations. But this looks like a really exciting project. Of course, it is limited. It looks like just right now to um, Oakland, but hopefully we'll see this expand across the U.S.
2: Yeah, and think about the kids in Oakland that are going to get this that whose whose lives it could really potentially change. And you know we've got all of these marginalized populations, and I love the fact that um, you know we're we're making some things available to them that just weren't quite as easily accessible or reachable as as they were before. And so, um, big big fan of of these kind of movements also. So another cool thing that's going on with Google has to do with baseball. And I know that we have finally wrapped up the World Series, but sort of in the wake of all of that, we've also got some new assets that Google has made available related to baseball. And so these these are actually pretty cool. We've got – and a lot of these tap into Google Expeditions. Actually, all five of them that I'm going to tell you about do. They include two virtual tours of baseball stadiums, which include City Field in New York and Oriole Park in Camden Yards in Baltimore, where obviously the Orioles play. So you can go get um you know kind of get a tour, and it's narrated by uh, Heidi Watney of the MLB Network. You can also get behind the scenes uh, access to. Careers, So you get to see like what it's like to be a baseball beat reporter and a TV reporter. And they've even got like a, a math and physics type tour um, that they call the StatCast Tour. And so all of those work through Google Expeditions. And they've actually got some free lesson plans that go along with them too that can be found at tes.com. So that's definitely something worth checking out. And we've got a link to information about that in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash twenty nine.
1: Well, that sounds even interesting to me. And I am I am not really into baseball, but I know that everybody is talking about it right now. So I'm sure the kids are coming into the classroom talking about um, all of the different games. And, you know, I've heard that some of these games have been some history makers. So, yeah. you know, the the fact that we can then take them on a journey to explore this. So when they when they watch this and they're like, I want to be a baseball player when I grow up. Well, let's look what what that might look like. You know, let's, yeah, let's yeah. take and a deeper dive. So even
2: if the World Series is over this is still sort of like top of mind for him so I'd say it's it's probably not even too late to use
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It, it looks really cool. So I'm going to take a leap over to science. So science teachers, listen up. If you have been using the science journal app, which is made by Google, uh, it is now available on iOS as well, but it got some new updates. And so this app is pretty cool to begin with, but it allows you to take notes on your phone or your Chromebook And it lets you use the sensors on your phone to measure sound. You can see the sound waves coming in and measure those in decibels, Uh, light and movement. So you can use this to conduct your own experiments. You can use this to drive inquiry in the science classroom and help students come up with their own questions about the data that they collect. And so it's a really interesting application. I'm going to link to... The blog post about the updates and the announcements, but I'm also going to um, include a, an animated GIF here of the application itself, and it's it's pretty awesome. And of course, we we got to throw a GIF in there, right? And uh, so you can see that. But I'm also going to link back to the main page for the Science Journal app, because there's a lot of additional activities and features and things here for science teachers. So if you're looking um, to up your game and you've got some access to mobile devices, I think this looks like a, a winner here.
2: Yeah, this is cool. And I love that this this measures data in the messy, real world, not always neat and perfect way. And so whenever kids get to see data in that way, I think that's that's really good thing, because it's not like... You know, choose A, B, C or D type of science. This is like, let's make sense of what we've got in front of us type of science, which is great. And speaking of science, you know we've got through expeditions and through Google Maps, Street View and all that, we've got all of these ways to see different places around the world as if we're actually there. So what if we could go to another planet? And that pl- the planet I'm specifically talking about now is Mars. So in 2012, the Curiosity rover was on Mars and it created this three – they were able to create this 3D model of Mars from from what they gathered there. And so now we all have access to that model. And so it's called Access Mars. It's available through expeditions, but it's also available on your computer. So it's, it's um, delivered to us through WebVR, which lets you see virtual reality right in your browser. And so basically – You can look at Curiosity's landing site on Mars. You can go to other mission sites all throughout, and you've got a scientist who gets to be your guide and kind of explains what it is so you don't have to try to guess what you're looking at. So really, really cool thing if um, Mars or any of the planets fit into your curriculum in any way, this is a really neat resource.
1: Yes. And if if you can uh, share this with students in any format, you know, I was a space camp kid and I geeked out over Get this out. stuff so much. I'm so oh, jealous. Yeah. No. I, yeah, I totally I mean, I was obsessed like with everything that had to do with NASA. And this blows my mind. I mean, this really just kind of takes me back. And, want, you know, I really want to dig back into all of the, i i can't believe that we have something roaming around up there on Mars. That right. that alone just blows my mind, but the fact that we yeah. can bring this into our classrooms, it doesn't cost anything and it's all web-based. It just yeah. it, it's amazing. So, um to have this at your fingertips, you know, take a look. You know, Google Earth blows your mind. Well, we've traveled all the way to Mars now. So, so like take Google a look. Like
2: Google Mars <laughs> sort of anyway. <laughs> and so you were a Space Camp kid and you ended up being an English teacher?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Hey, that's cool. I like it. I like it.
1: Yep. I have, well, I have a, yeah, I have a very uh, different route to English. Let's just put it that way. Oh,
2: that'll be a, that'll be a story for another episode, I bet.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We'll have to save that one. Maybe I'll butt dial it to you.
2: (laughs) So one of the things that I know that Casey and I have seen a lot of, and I'll bet that you've probably seen a lot of too, is. Whenever teachers use technology in the classroom, sometimes it's really easy to – kind of replace what it is that you were doing in the classroom before with a technological version of it. Um, I know a lot of times people call this substitution. If you've ever heard of the SAMR model, it's kind of like um, using technology as a direct tool substitute, uh, they say, with no functional imp- improvement. And um, I know there's, there's some issues with that because if you're kind of using all of this cool technology with all of this potential to do the same stuff you were doing, it, it kind of feels like the technology gets squandered. And... So we've seen some of that, but on the other hand, there's been some really cool stuff that we can do to not only let kids kick learning up to a whole nother level – but also to really encourage them to think deeply, and you to move up to some of those higher levels of Bloom's Taxonomy and Webb's Depth of Knowledge, and you know some of those things that we we try to get kids to do to to get them to think deeper. And so, um, Casey and I wanted to share some of some examples of that that we've seen where you can use Google tools to do some of that. And the first one that I wanted to share, uh, is actually a really simple one. And I think sometimes when, when I show people this at the beginning, they might kind of think, you know, this almost seems like a little silly, kind of fluffy activity, but there's actually some deep thinking behind it. And so. Here's what I'll, what I'll have them do. Uh, a lot of times we do this in Google Drawings. And so we pull up a blank Google Drawing and we stick a sort of like a historic work of art or a historic photograph onto the page. And the, the example I usually use is a painting of George Washington crossing the Delaware. And if you're not from the United States, obviously, uh, Washington crossing the Delaware was a big part of our history with our first president. And so, um, so anyway, What I'll do is we'll stick that uh, picture of that painting on there, and then we'll stick a thought bubble right next to Washington's head. And so you do thought bubbles by clicking on the shapes button, and then under under the call-outs, there's a thought bubble. And so you put that in there, and the prompt is kids are going to write into the thought bubble, what do you think George Washington was thinking as he crossed the Delaware and so usually just as a fun example, I'll write, are we crazy? You know, I'll like put that into the thought bubble. Um, but then I'll take the thought bubble and I'll put it onto one of his crew and I'll say, okay, what was that guy thinking? And the idea behind this is that. This is more than just regurgitating facts, you know, just like spitting those facts back out that you just read in the book. This is actually taking those and putting yourself in the shoes of somebody else and trying to figure out what they're thinking. And, of course, you know, analyzing and synthesizing information like that does move up Bloom's taxonomy. And then there's even another layer that you can add to it, too, when – If there's a like a text box down at the bottom where kids explain their thinking, where they tell you why it is that they wrote what they did, and they say, I think Washington was thinking this because, and then they tie it back to something that they've learned. And my goodness, there is like deep thinking all over that. And one of the points I like to make when I do that is to say that, you know, when we talk about rigor, Rigor's kind of become kind of like this dirty word in education to some people. But when we talk about rigor, it's not about doing more questions and it's not doing more time. It's about deeper thinking. And so this is one of those things where we're able to do some of that deeper thinking, but still do it in sort of a fun way. So there's one of those examples where you know, that's, that's something that's pretty easy to plug right in and to generate some of that deeper thinking.
1: Absolutely. And you know, I I think where this topic really came out of. Matt and I were just discussing some of the questions that we address, whether that's from the tribe or on Facebook or Twitter or wherever we are. And we see a lot of the same questions that come across. And I I recently had a question about an assignment where a teacher was using Google Slides and having trouble with some plagiarism and the fact that students were copying answers from previous years and, and things like that. And so, you know, I think we have to really rethink our assignments in the digital world. It's not about Google. Like the first response had something to do with, oh, well you've got to use this other tool because you don't want them to copy. Well, we live in a world where information is free and readily accessible 24/7. So to shut that down and say that that we're not going to do that in the real world is ridiculous. My boss doesn't give me an assignment and then say, "Oh yeah, and you can't use Google." No, that's that's not real world. And that's not 21st century. Um, these right. are the tools that we have at our disposal. So we have to rethink the types of assignments that we give our students. Right. And, you know, so it it's not it's not the tools fault. Google Slides is not inherently creative or innovative. We can use it in the most boring way that we can possibly think of there. Just because it's online doesn't mean that it's going to engage students or that it's going to increase learning. Right. There are no guarantees. So we have to really reach further and think beyond and how we can use these tools to do new things. And, um, you know, we would definitely, you know, I think it was Alan November who I first heard sort of using that um, non-Googleable answers. You know, if they can find it at the top of a Google search, that's not a good question. You know, right. we need to go deeper with things and, and we need to get them, like you said in your example, applying, you know, moving right. higher into Bloom's tax taxonomy, you know, taking on different roles and taking on different understandings and cultural understandings and making connections. And, and so we have the, these amazing tools, especially, you know, obviously we're big fans of G Suite and the, the things that we can do with these, but um, we really just have to move beyond. And so, you know, I feel like there's some of those same, same questions that come up over and over again, and we're taking what we used to do on paper and we're trying to make it work online. And there's a reason, you know, that, that doesn't always work. And yes, you can go Google just about any type of answer. But um like I tell people, when they take the certification tests for Google, yeah, you can have Google open because guess what? Google thinks that's a skill for you to have. And right. you're not, you're not going to be able to find all the answers. That's not, you're not going to pass that test just by Googling all the answers because it's much more difficult than that. And it requires you to apply your knowledge and complete tasks. So sorry to get on my soapbox a little bit there, but I think that's that was really kind of where we were coming from with this yeah. idea. And and even though we talk so much specifically about tools, um, truly at the heart of both of our philosophies is really that it's not about the tool at all, that it is about student yeah. learning and how we can leverage these tools uh, for that. And so, you know, I love your, your examples from annotating images, you know, this one and the one that we discussed um, back in the drawings episode. What was that? That was episode 23. And, you know, you know, there's so many cool things that we can do with these tools and it does require us to think differently. You know, I think the example mm-hmm. of Google Drawings is perfect because at first glance no one knows what to do with it we don't understand what it can do <laughs> that's um, true. it's brand new it's a, it's this blank canvas but that's what's so beautiful about it too so um, anyway so I, I will I will step down now off of my soapbox <laughs> then uh, that's 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 really our goal here is just to, to sort of discuss these things but to give you some ideas too and to think yeah. beyond just the tool itself yeah and so um, one particular, assignment that's been blowing up my phone this week, uh, because of Halloween is the magnetic poetry. And so I've, I have several different versions of that. And, um, you know, really, There are pros to having constraints to assignments, right? You know, so the magnetic poetry is really just a Google drawings or a Google slides version of what you see on your refrigerator with those tiny little magnets and somehow composing something out of it. Well, guess what? When you're on the refrigerator, you're limited to what you have there. You can't just write whatever you want. But that is the that is the challenge of magnetic poetry, right? That you don't have the entire vocabulary at your disposal that you have to think creatively about it. And so, and I think I even gave the example uh, about my Edgar Allan Poe uh, comic strip where they were limited in the character images that they could use. But sometimes limitations can bring out some creativity that you didn't know. So it's not always... This wide open that sometimes even, even the limitations within the assignments, I think can bring that about. And anyway, if you're interested, of course, we have linked to um, all of our activities in the show notes for you as well at googleteachertribe.com slash 29. So speaking
2: of creating with constraints, um, I just recently wrote a blog post about uh, an activity that you can do with um, using Google tools. And this this got prompted from a teacher emailing me and saying, hey, I saw this activity. She sent me a YouTube link to it, and she said, can, do you know how to create this? And I looked at the video, and I, I swear it was probably something that was sold off of Teachers Pay Teachers, and it was um, – just like a little three column worksheet with some movable text on it. And I was looking at it and I'm going, yeah, I I know how to do it, but I bet we can make this activity a better activity. And, um, So that's kind of what what I did was I created this – I'm going to call it a graphic organizer uh, because it wasn't just about filling in blanks and circling the right answer. Um, It was really something to help guide kids' thinking, and this activity – gives um, gives kids a little icon for each of the elements of a story. So you know you got your plot and your characters and your uh, conflict and your resolution, you know stuff like that. And so they're supposed to pick the most the three most important parts to them whenever they read a story. So they move those little icons up into the box. And then once that they get up there, then they have to again, we're still talking about explaining their thinking. They've got to explain why it is that they chose that and then give an example from a story that really works. So see that from the outside looking in, that's one of those things that could look a little bit like a digital worksheet. But to me, that goes deeper than that because of the level of thinking. And you know, as far as the constraints go, you know, that's, that's one of those things where it kind of keeps. You know, you hear people say uh, you got to think outside the box. Well, a lot of times the box still exists and we've got to live within the box. And so, how are we going to make the most of the box that we're in? And in this case, it keeps, it kind of gives kids a direction, but also still gives them some freedom. I really think that there's freedom within constraints a lot of times.
1: Definitely. There, there, there is freedom within that. And sometimes it forces you to think differently about problem solving when you know it's sort of like macgyver like you've got oh, a, that's a great gum, example. Yes. you've got a plastic cup and you've got and you know lace. a pin yeah like what are you <laughs> how are you going to solve this problem uh and and that is truly innovative when you can do some things like that so um you know and not always just because it has constraints you know i see a lot of stifling with, of creativity as right. well within constraints and actually i need to add a link to this i share this video a lot um and it's called complete the painting and it's when there's one correct answer, how students want to replicate the example that they're given or they want to find whatever that one special answer is that the teacher is looking for. And so um this video is just incredible because it was like third grade students. And when they um they were told that complete the painting and you'll get two points for the correct answer. Well, it was a triangle and they all created a house that looked almost exactly the same. When they were given those directions. Well, when they're given um, more open directions and just told complete the painting and they were given the triangle, kids created monsters and stories and they used more colors and it was much more creative. So, you know, so there's the other side of it. And sometimes we have to think about how we as teachers kind of get in the way. Of that kind of stuff, Um, you know, and I didn't realize that till I started really giving examples. And everybody wants an example, and I don't mean that examples are bad. I think guidance guidance is better. Um, But even with adults, they're like, "Well, what is the you know? Show us an example," and then they all replicate exactly what I show them. So when when you when especially when you start building in student choice, which is a great way to take that activity that I mentioned earlier with Google Slides you know if there was some student choice in that that activity that required a more original product it can't be plagiarized you know so so when we start opening up the door to choose choose from a list of tools or choose the, the tool of your choice, you know, to complete and demonstrate your learning, I think that can take these projects to a different level. And, you know, I think that's what's so great about G Suite is we already have this toolbox uh, of tools that, that students can choose from. And then I think it's also an important piece to really integrate that reflection. You know, so that students are sharing, you know, what they learned from the process, uh, you know, and, and putting that as a, as a requirement, I think would also help students reflect on the originality of what they're doing and where they found their answers and demonstrating their learning in a different and new way. Um, you know, giving students that flexible learning path. So, um, I just think there's a lot of different ways that we can think about all of the assignments that we give and whether that involves G Suite or not. Um, hopefully this conversation will get everyone sort of thinking about that.
2: Yeah. And of course, I know that, um, that a lot of you listening have some of these ideas and you've gone through this thought process. I know because I've talked to, you know, tons of Really smart educators that are going in this direction. And so this is where, you know, we would love to see some of your examples. So um, if you're a Twitter person, I hope that you are. If you're a Twitter person, then head on over to that uh, GT tribe hashtag or tag us at uh, G teacher tribe on Twitter and give us some of your examples of some of those ways that you use Google tools to do some of that deep learning. So it's not just a digital worksheet and you know, uh, Casey and I will be retweeting those like crazy so that we can share them with other people. Because, you know, we I think we all see that, especially as the, the world is changing and as different skills are going to be more important as we go forward, that these are the kinds of things that we need to do. And whenever we see examples from other people, it just pushes our thinking, too. So so hopefully this is uh, this has been a good discussion, maybe giving you some ideas. And we're really excited to see where you guys go with it.
1: So we have some questions from the tribe and some some great shares. We always love hearing from you, so keep them coming. We love the questions, and a, a lot of times you guys can stump us. So um, we're learning right there along with you. So thank you for that. The first question comes from Kaylin Bullock in Seattle, Washington, and she left us a little speak pipe message. Hi,
2: my name is Kaylin Bullock in Seattle, Washington, and. Our students are using Google Sites, but for some of them, when they go to Sites, the new Google Sites does not show up as an option. For the most part, it was on tablets, but it was also on some of the MacBooks. Do you know why this is happening? Um, They were able to access it when they logged in on a desktop, though.
1: Thank you for your help. Okay, Kaylin, if I'm understanding you correctly, the issue is mobile, and uh, that is because the new Google Sites is not currently compatible on mobile. So uh, that is just one of those things that we're still waiting on with the new Google Sites on desktop. If you go to sites.google.com, you should see the link uh, in the column at the very bottom of the left-hand side that says new Google Sites, and you can pop that open, or you can just type in sites.google.com com/slash/new, And if you try that, because I just tested it again on my, my phone just to make sure, and it does say that it requires the latest version of the desktop versions of Chrome or or Safari or whatever browser that you happen to be using. So unfortunately, I do not have good news. Um, there are a few, <laughs> few features that some of us are holding out on. Uh, Sites has never been completely... Um, clean on mobile i would say not not super user friendly so um i'm sorry about that i don't have a great answer but hopefully we will see that in the near future in an update
2: yeah this is another one of those things on the list isn't it casey
1: Absolutely, and the list
2: is is long. So, okay, the next one comes from Jennifer Liebhaber from Scottsdale, Arizona, and she is an elementary teacher. And she says she appreciates all the little tips and tricks she gets each time she listens. And she's trying to find out the best way to do a mail merge into a Google Doc when the data she needs is in Google Sheets. See, she is wanting to create personalized documents for each student for each child as a supplement to report cards, which sounds like a really cool idea. And so she needs to be able to print out a hard copy. She thought she had, we had mentioned an add-on for this or something like that. And so um, you're exactly right. Uh, it would be the first one I'm going to talk about, and I'm going to throw this over to Casey for a second one. Uh, the one that I always go to is called Autocrat. And Autocrat is a Sheets add-on. So once you get all of that data into the sheet. And a lot of times people will put that data into the sheet with a Google Form. So you can always use the form to collect. Um, but once the data is in the sheet, then Autocrat will let you pull information from the different columns. And then stick them into docs or to PDF files or whatever. It takes a li- There's a little bit of a learning curve on learning Autocrat. But I also know there are lots of really good YouTube videos out there that kind of walk you through it. And Autocrat actually has its own um, manual. And I mean there's lots of, lots of really good resources for using it. So the more that I've learned about Autocrat, the more I've found that it's great for doing this kind of thing.
1: Yes, it it definitely is. Autocrad is usually my go to and it is super handy for a lot of things, not just I mean, that involve a mail merge, but I use it to create certificates for events and that's that's probably the biggest way that I have used it and you know we just used that a couple of weeks ago for two hundred people. Um occasionally you will um hit some limitations with it. Another one that you can investigate is also called Form Publisher. I am not as savvy with this one. I haven't used it near as much, but it has a similar functionality where you create a template and um, it will do that merge and save save it as a, a PDF or a slides or a sheet or whatever kind of document that you want. So um, that's actually a Google Forms add on. Autocrat is a Google Sheets add on. So um, yeah, just to just to get you confused, say Autocrat three times fast, and then say Google <laughs> Sheets. Three times fast. (laughs) 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 Wording things very carefully right now. So, um, anyway, but thank you for that question, Jennifer. We have one more. uh, Really, this is more of a share than a question from Denise Wolf in Nebraska. And um, she has some some fabulous things to say about the podcast. So thank you for that, Denise. We are so glad that you were enjoying it. And I love the fact that you you mentioned that even when the title doesn't seem like it's something that could apply to you, that you always are, are gathering new tips and tricks. And that is yeah, our goal. That I is.
0: mean, we.
1: We can't tailor everything for every single person in every single episode, but we're trying, y'all. We really are. Right. So, right. Um, But she did mention that she had uh, found a use for the, creating the Google Tour. And so I, I'm, I'm not sure if she's meaning Tour Builder here or if she's using um, something inside the new Google Earth. But uh, creating this and, um, let's see, the uh, find a useful listened to your share about Google tour and went straight to my office and started building one for an upcoming presentation to show our outreach for the teletherapy services that we provide. And so she just discovered that it was such a powerful tool um, to show that and that she's sharing it with all of her colleagues and her graduate students. And so, so happy that you found a, a fun tool to incorporate and make things more interactive and useful for your students there, Denise. So thank you for sharing that.
2: The Google Teacher Tribe Podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators. Podcasts by educators. For more great education podcasts, go to edupodcastnetwork.com. So, as usual, Casey and I have a couple of blog posts we wanted to share with you. Uh, just recently, I published one that I titled 10 Ways Icons from the Noun Project Can Impact Learning. And I have this The Noun Project addiction right now. So, The Noun Project, if you're not familiar, is this great site that has millions or over a million, I should say, of free-to-use icons, And there there are icons on just about anything. And so my favorite way to use them is to put them into, is to create infographics and to put them in there. But I'm also seeing them being put onto presentation slides and just to make any sort of teaching and learning materials um, more visual and there's lots of brain research that shows the, the power in that. And so there's all sorts of different ways that you can pull this into the classroom. And so, of course, infographics was one of the ways that I mentioned that you can, that you can use it. Um, you know, there's just being able to see a visual version of certain words. You can create badges, do storytelling. There's lots of different ways. So that's, um, that's one that you could definitely check out.
1: And that's great. And I love infographics. I, I have a, a an addiction to reading them to composing them and, and to finding ways they're they're just so great, because they're visual, they grab your attention. And so I, I started working on this blog post. And lo and behold, yet another blog post turned into an infographic because as soon as I start trying to put it together, my brain wants to create that visual. And so I I did a post on uh, dynamic learning versus static learning, which is sort of a project that I've been working on lately and trying to explain not something new, but to explain how we can leverage technology in our classrooms and how the the new ways of learning and being able to connect can really change the way we we create assignments and lessons in our classroom, So it's basically a do this, not that sort of comparison. So instead of, you know, like a traditional research paper on World War II, what if we could have a Skype or Google Hangout interview with an actual war survivor and just sort of talking about, you know, how we can take uh, our static activities, the one and done type of activities and put a new twist on them. So I I plugged that in there. The graphic's pretty gigantic, by the way. There's a mini version in the show notes, but you can click on the link to get the the full graphic. And uh, let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I've already got some requests for doing this for specific subject areas as well. So if you have some ideas, I would love to hear from you. And of course, you can find that all in the show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 29. Well, that wraps up episode 29. I I had fun. I don't know if, yeah. if everybody else did, but I enjoyed it, and I hope this will spark some some conversations. And you know, I think I have one request share this with a teacher who doesn't get this message yes you know, please s- sometimes I feel like we preach to the choir and la- that a lot of times the people on Twitter and the people listening to the podcast are the people who already get it so you know I think the challenge is to share this with someone you know that really doesn't quite get it
2: yeah yeah absolutely yeah that's the That's the hope. So, And, of course, if you're not subscribed to the show, we would love it if you did. And if you've enjoyed the show, if you found some benefit out of it, we would also love it if you would do a rating and or review on iTunes, which makes it easier for other people to find the show, too. So until next time, this has been another episode of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, and we will see you later.
1: Bye, y'all. Well, hello, Tribe. We hope that you are... No, never mind. That was wrong. <laughs> Let's do it again. I said I, knew, I said I knew what I was doing and I didn't. Okay. Well, hello, Tribe. That worked. No, that was creepy. It's okay. I'm Good listening. It
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: That totally fits with Halloween, though.
1: Oh, it does. It does. Except yeah. it's over. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Deep breath. Okay. Hello,
2: my precious. <laughs> hey,
1: let's not do that. i play my. Ne- I'll play my Negan whistle. Don't get me started. All right. <laughs> you probably don't even know what that one is, do you? No, I don't. Yeah. It's from Walking, The Walking Dead. It's oh, it's yeah. the it's the tone that my phone makes when I get a text message, and it's this really creepy whistle.
2: Ah, <laughs> uh, gotcha. Okay. Oh,
1: yeah. All right. Okay. Take two. I got it.
0: Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, DitchThatTextbook.com for the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of Ed Tech podcast.